Truth Barista is a production of High Beam Ministry and uses the imaginary Airzatz coffee shop as its platform to bring you a conversation about a plethora of scintillating topics. We don't shy away from any issue that is plaguing our culture or the church today, whether it's current cultural issues, questions about Bible verses, or even just some banter to encourage you. Dr. Jay Christensen is the Truth Barista, and he and amazing Larry Kutzler brew up highly caffeinated conversations for our day. Grab a cup of joe, pop yourself down in the booth next to us, and get ready to think. The Truth Barista is a production of High Beam Ministry, and it's listener-supported. For more information about The Truth Barista, go to highbeamministry.com. Thanks for listening. Over 1,900 years ago, this was written, Romans 13, 11 and 12, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. The night's far spent, the day is at hand, let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, get rid of those idols, and let us put on the armor of light. If 1,900 years ago, or the night's far spent, the day's at hand, the new day, how much more now? Now, you know what makes me cry? These disciples of Christ who were so far removed from His coming were expecting Him any moment. They lived diligently and they spent their lifetime. Jesus wasn't first. He was everything. I mean, they gave everything. Yes, we who are so close to His coming live so carelessly. After 1900 years since this is written, think of it. If it's time to awake then, what time is it now? What time is it now? I don't know what God's going to have to do. I don't know what God has to do to this city. I don't know what he has to do to every city. I don't know what he has to do to the church. But he said it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. And he's talking to the church. He said it's a frightful thing. We're not taking it frightful. We've created a God in our, our concept. We have a concept of God that he is so, he's just so loving. He's so merciful. Yes, he is to those who follow him in righteousness. And God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. Yes, He loves the whole world. But there comes a time when God says, My justice must now be satisfied. Dr. J, I'm really enjoying the series you've got us into, and that is the book of Revelation. We're calling it Back to the Future. And the last couple of episodes, we've been talking about the underpinnings, the overall view of the book and why it was written, who wrote it, and all of that. And if people missed any of that, they can find those episodes where? Well, first of all, at highbeamministry.com. And just go to the podcast page because we take the radio show and we post it on the podcast page. So you can keep up with us. And we're going episode by episode by episode. And it's important you take them in order. The other way you could do it is just go to this radio station's website because a lot of them have the shows posted afterwards. So those are both valuable. And, you know, if you have any suggestions or comments or questions, go ahead and email me or Jay at uh, highbeamministry at gmail.com, highbeamministry at gmail.com. And we'll have a lot of fun going through your comments and your suggestions. And hey, you send us something really tasty, a great question. We'll give you a shout out on the air. How's that for a a little Ooh. bit of an incentive, huh? I'll write in every week. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we have a question here from Larry. Yeah, well. Uh, Larry says, 
you know, when is Jay going to shut up and let Larry ask a question? <laughs> no, per what? Perfect, perfect. Okay, so yeah, yeah. we're going to get into the first chapter, and I, I love this. This is good stuff. Uh, where are we going to begin? We're going to just start with that very first verse where John is saying, hey, God has a purpose in writing this book, and it's because he wants us, his people, to know the direction he's going. He doesn't bring right. surprises. He doesn't just come out of the blue and go, ta-da, guess what? So, you know, I think it's important to understand that this is the nature of God. In fact, Amos, Dr. J. 3.7 says, Surely the sovereign God or the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. So he wants us to know. Is that correct? Absolutely. You, that's the story of Actually, that's his modus operandi right there, his plan of attack. As throughout the Bible, you see God tipping his people off. This is what's coming. This is how to be prepared. So when this happens, you need to do this. And if we don't listen to the Lord, uh, we may wind up in some really terrible circumstances. In fact, yes, we see this like Moses. At the end of Deuteronomy, Moses looks at the children of Israel. He's about to die. They're about to start their conquering of the land of Israel and start their life with him. And Moses says, by the way, I just want to tip you guys off. Um, you're really going to screw up. I mean, what a, what a fantastic final sermon, right? Moses <laughs> goes, yeah, you're going to try, but you're just going to screw up. And then God's going to step in according to the covenant, and he's going to spank you guys, and you're going to get thrown into another land. And when you finally wise up and come to your senses, you're going to go, what did we do? We're so stupid. Okay, we need to come back to God. And then God's going to step in, and he's going to bring you back to the land. He's going to change your hearts and your minds, and you're finally going to be the people he wants you to be. You know, there's it, Moses' end time sermon right there. Well, it's like, woohoo! What a great tip off there. Here's a great prophecy. And then you go to Isaiah. Isaiah, by the way, kind of says the same thing, and so does Jeremiah. Jeremiah says to the people, God prompts him through a prophecy and says, by the way, Israel, because you're sinning, there's a forth-telling statement to them. You are sinning, and you need to repent, and you need to walk right. Then he gives them a foretelling. Jeremiah says, by the way, because of your sin, and I know you're not going to repent, Babylon's going to come in here, and just like Moses said, and they're going to conquer you. They're going to kill a lot of you. You'll die by the famine, by the sword, by animals, and they're going to take the remnant to Babylon, and then they're going to return you, just like Moses said. Okay? Then Jesus, the supreme prophet, he steps up and he's unloading prophecy after prophecy, both to his disciples and to Israel. In fact, one of the most profound ones is, after the leadership has rejected him, Jesus is on the Mount of Olives overlooking Jerusalem and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those that I have sent to you, how I have longed to gather you under my wings as a hen gathers its chicks, but you have refused. And because of that, your house is left to you desolate. You will not mm. see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, not just to anybody, but to Jesus himself. What happened? Forty years after Jesus was crucified, the Romans came in and surrounded Jerusalem, and they destroyed the city. They killed hundreds of thousands of people, basically exiled many of the Jews, leaving just a bare few. They were always there. Okay, the Jews have always been in the land, but a great many were exiled throughout the Roman Empire. Hmm. By the way, 
And this is, thanks for this lead in because this is so good. Jesus looked to his disciples and goes, by the way, when you see Jerusalem surrounded, run for the hills. Okay, why is this important? Because when the Romans showed up, the Messianic said, uh, we got to get out of here. Mm. So they took off, and I believe it was to a city named Pella. And they stationed there. That's where the headquarters, so to speak, many Jews, Messianic Jews went to Pella. And they escaped the destruction that was happening to Jerusalem. Meanwhile, the Jews that stayed in Jerusalem were able to get a group of leaders out, and Pharisees actually, Pharisee leaders out, and they went down toward the coast, and they went up by the Galilee, and this is where the Jews continued their communities, and out of this group of Pharisees, we have the growth of rabbinic Judaism of today. So, God spared both the Messianics and the non-Messianic Jews in the first century via the Roman exile, Jesus warned them about it ahead of time. Mm -hmm. What is Jesus doing in the book of Revelation? Hey, heads up, this is where you're at. This is chapter 2 and 3. This is what's coming, 4 through the end. Better be prepared. Here's my pet peeve. You want to hear my pet peeve? Do you just have one pet peeve? No, but I have, since we're talking about this, I have one pet peeve. Modern church sometimes only deals with the blessings or the promises of God, which is understandable. We need to understand that. But they ignored the warnings of God to to the same extent. I mean, the blessings and the promises we should know, but we should also be aware of the warnings. Because, I mean, the warnings are there for a reason. And uh, Dr. J, you know, I look at the book of Deuteronomy, for example, chapter 28. There's 14 verses on the promises and the blessings of God. 14. You count up, you got 54 verses on the curses or, you know, or the warnings, because if you don't listen to me, this is what's going to happen. And that seems to be a pattern throughout the entire, you know, scriptures. And especially now we get to the book of Revelation. There is this warning. And we cannot, as the body of Christ, ignore these warnings because they're going to happen. You know, as you were saying that, something came into my mind. Why do we need more judgment and warning of judgments than we do blessings? Because we're because dumb. The heart is desperately. Because <laughs> we're dumb. Yeah, that's right. Uh, in truth, the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all other things. I mean, you need boundaries. You need warnings to keep you on the road. Blessings are the road that's before you, and we have no trouble wanting to to be on the road and to go into all the good things and see the good things and experience the good things of life. But you know something? Our car doesn't just drive automatically straight. It has a tendency to go to the right and to the left. And as we start going to the right, all of a sudden that little beeper in the car says, warning, 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 you're getting too close to the line. Blah, blah, blah. I just experienced that in a new car that I was driving in the other day. I thought, that's pretty cool. But what if we didn't have those warnings? I could have moved over and sideswiped somebody. Mm-hmm. I could have driven off the road. Mm. But these warnings are there to warn you. Why? It's because the car company and your loved ones don't want you to die. So why does God warn his church? Number one, because we get off track a lot and we sin against him a lot. And he loves us and he doesn't want us to get hurt or die. 
So these warnings that we fear called judgments are actually love notes to us saying, get back in line here. Stay tight with the shepherd. Why? Because you little sheep are going to get eaten up by that wolf over there that you so pleasingly and, and stupidly are moving toward. So to me, I, I, you just got to have the right perspective. Well, and another thing that I see too in the church is we're very comfortable people. We're very comfortable in our sin. And we need those warnings to get us out of those things. A lot of times we don't want to hear those warnings because we like what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's, that's very good. Good answer. I, I appreciate that. So we're going to talk about the three verses in chapter one today. Is that correct? Right. And we may go a little farther. So chapter one is basically an introduction, and it gives us the lead into the seven churches in two and three. And right at the start, we're told that this is all about Jesus. So here we go. I'll read those first three verses. The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. And there's kind of an implied why here. Verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it because the time is near. So right off the bat, we're told this is all about Jesus. This is not, by the way, the book of Revelations. There's only one revelation here. It's the revelation, the revealing of Jesus, okay? And what this means for the wrap-up of God's plans to show his servants what must soon take place. So, did you notice that John says that whatever it is, is going to happen soon? Whatever is unfolded in this revelation, in this prophecy, is going to happen soon. Like we said last week, well, it's not 2,000 years later. There's things in here that haven't happened, but it started unfolding in John's day. That's an important point. That's what John is speaking to. It just hasn't wrapped up. So you could say it this way. He was showing you what will begin to happen soon. And indeed it does. Now, this shows us the delay in fulfillment, shows us that God's plans and timing aren't necessarily in sync with our plan and timing. And ours is not the most important, Mr. Larry. Are you <laughs> sure about plan. that? Are you sure oh, about that? Oh, believe me, I've been spanked enough times <laughs> by the Lord that it's like, oh yeah, this is all your plan and timing. This has nothing to do with me. So, this is why when I approach various prophesied signs and events, I don't date set. I keep my eye to what's going on around me, but I want to see that prophetic sign fly by me as I'm driving the car down the gospel road saying, this is that which happened. You know, mm. This is that event. This is that sign. I don't try to project, oh, I'm going to hit that sign in five minutes, or I'm going to hit this in about 24 hours. Nope. I wait until it happens, and then I can say with Peter, this is that which God prophesied. So, once again, every time I've tried to predict dates and things, I've been precisely wrong. So, let's just understand what he's saying, and we'll get into the signs later. So, here's that learn the whole Bible stuff that I talked about previously with Revelation being a stolen book. Bible prophecy is like a puzzle with pieces that need to be arranged. Some pieces don't exactly fit with others that we think should fit. Two pieces may only fit if there's another piece between them. 
So you get this, you dump out a puzzle on a, a tabletop. The first things you look for, the easily identifiable pieces, right? So we start with the edges. Once we get the edges in place, now we've got a framework to build in. Now you start looking for pieces that either fit that frame or pieces that you pick up to go, hmm, these two things could come together because of the color or the patterns. The pieces that we see here will fill out the picture in Isaiah and Jeremiah. Some of the things from Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, and other prophets will fit within the frame of Revelation. We're not trying to build a line of prophecy. We're trying to build a picture. Now, have you ever tried putting together a puzzle and mm -hmm. the pieces don't fit? I know. I, I do all the time. I use my, uh, my rubber mallet. Bam! And that's I make it work. Exactly. That's exactly where I was going. You know, this piss doesn't fit. I'm just going to beat the snot out of it until it does. Well, you know something? That's many Bible teachers today. Many Bible teachers will take pictures and images and even language and words and say, well, if I just force it enough, It'll fit into place, and now I've got a successful ministry, and I've gained fame and fortune because I put it together. Except it might prove to be very wrong, and by doing stuff like that, you can actually endanger people spiritually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love the illustration of the puzzle, but couldn't God have made it a lot easier? I mean, there's so many mysteries and so many sort of like pieces that just don't seem to be in the box, and you're scratching your head. God could have said A to Z, and everything's in line, just perfect, the way science does it. Science does it fact by fact by fact by fact, and it just kind of creates a line. Now, I realize there's some, you know, open gaps in science as well, but that's how they think. So why do you think God gives us a reference point, gives us a little bit of information, and then sort of steps back. Why do you think he does that? Because the vessels that he chose to bring forth this revelation are not Greek thinkers. They're Hebraic thinkers. There's a difference. See, Greek thinking likes a starting point and it likes an end point and it wants to draw a line between the two. Okay, that's very linear thinking. Hebraic thinking is different. It's, they often use block logic. They will fit everything together into a giant block and lay it out on the table. And then they'll find all the things that come together in another block and lay that out on the table. And then they'll make another block picture and put that on a table. And then they put them together, just kind of kind of put the sides together. And they go, there's the picture. And you're kind of go, what? Case in point, you can take a number of scriptures and say that man has a free will, correct? Correct, correct. Okay, we can choose certain things, okay? So there's an aspect of man's free will in play. On the other hand, you can look at a bunch of scriptures that say, man, God is sovereign and he can do what he wants. So if he wants to save somebody, that person's going to get saved. If he doesn't want to save somebody, that person ain't never going to get saved. So God's sovereignty is over here in this God's sovereignty box. Okay. Well, the Hebraic mind slides both of those together and says, we don't have a problem with that. Both are true. <laughs> Pardon? Both are true. Both are true. But in Greek thinking, it's like, well, if God is sovereign, then man's will has no play in this. But somebody else will say, well, if man has a free will, then somehow it influences God's sovereignty. No, God's sovereignty is still sovereign. And so you put the two together and you say, well, which is it? Is it man's will in motion or is it God's sovereignty in motion? The Hebraic mind says both. 
<laughs> doesn't matter. I love it. Why? Because that's what God revealed mm -hmm. through the Bible. To do systematic theology can sometimes be a danger because we wind up excluding some very important points in Scripture because it doesn't fit to our puzzle pieces. Mm. And systematic theologians sometimes take puzzle pieces and they use their denominational hammers, and we're going to pound that son of a gun into place. Mm. And ta-da, now we have our straight line. Another danger with that is, in Western thinking, you have a starting point, you have an ending point. So if you have a puzzle piece that doesn't fit that line, you're going to make it fit that line. Mm. And if you start at this point, you have to go to that end point. Otherwise, it's untrue. It's undoctrinal. And that's a problem. Block logic, block thinking is how we should approach the Bible. And so you'll see this throughout the book of Revelation and throughout all of Scripture. Why? Because God revealed it to people who thought that way. So that's the way we have to think when we approach the writing. We can't force the Hebraic thinkers into the Greek way of thinking. Well, that's faith, the issue. That is the issue. Faith has a part of this, too, I would believe, that everything isn't spelled out A to Z. There are some missing gaps, and those gaps are meant for us to believe God. When there is nothing to really substantiate so, you know, that we can say this is exactly the way it is, we have to believe by faith God is going to make it work. And I think that's important for people of faith to exercise their faith. So before we end the program today, we need to just get into that idea that you said before we got into our discussion here, that the admonition was to read and understand, and if you read and understand this book, you will be blessed. So that speaks right to people who say, I don't want to read that book. It's too scary. There's, I don't understand it. Correct? Correct. Now, think of it in context to what Jesus is, is saying to John. He's saying, okay, I am speaking as John to you, a member of a, one of these churches. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Why is that important? Because John wrote it as a letter. It would go to that particular leadership team, say, in Galatia, or in one of the other, uh, Ephesus, or one of the other Asia Minor churches. Okay, blessed is the leader who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed is the congregation who hears the words of this prophecy, and keep what is written in it. That word keep there means not just to, oh, I'm going to embrace the words. I shall mull over the words. I shall remember the words forever. No, in Hebraic thinking, it means hearing with the intent to obey, with the intent to follow. This is what Jesus is saying. I'm giving you these words so that you will be prepared for action when these things take place. So, John is giving this blessing, actually Jesus is through John, the person who's reading this letter will be blessed, and the person who hear the words of these, this letter will be blessed if they follow what's written in it because the time is near. Why? This goes back to the prophetic warning thing. If some prophet warns you, Larry, that today, if you drive down that street, you're going to wind up in a riot, Say, and this happened to some people in the George Floyd riots. If you drive down that street, you're going to wind up in a group of people who are rioting, and you're going to get carjacked, or you could get your car damaged, or somebody could hurt you. You need to go the other way. Okay, if you obey, nothing happens to you. Well, then you find out later there are people that drove down their road, and that is exactly what happened to them. 
So you can say, blessed is the one who gives me these words and tells me not to do that, and blessed am I because I listened to what he was saying, and I obeyed it, and I stayed out of trouble. This is what John is saying to the churches. Blessed are you churches, you know, blessed, the blessing be on the one who's reading this, and blessed are you who are listening to it and paying attention to it. Why? Because persecution is breaking out all over. This is what's coming. And you can avoid a whole lot of harm, even death, and even more so spiritual death. And of course, the first words that we will jump into is the corrective words, chapters two through three. You know, so many people today in certain Christian circles, they always kind of pride themselves in prophecy. You know, it's that rhema prophecy that comes out of, you know, somewhere. And yet this prophecy that is that we're about to unpack is scripture. It is tried and it's proven. And we know that no matter what, it's going to come to pass. We don't have to invent anything or add anything to it. We can just exegete what is being said here. And I'll tell you, you'll know the path. You'll know the way. You'll know what God's doing, right? Yep. In fact, you kind of sparked a, a, a final thought in me as we go through this. Did some of these things happen in John's day? Most certainly. In fact, when John references the mark of the beast and some of these things, they were direct references to the Roman emperor in his day. However, when you look at the context of what is also being said in the form of a prophecy, that which happened once before can happen again. Hmm. Oftentimes, prophecy in the Bible has a primary fulfillment, an immediate fulfillment, or a first fulfillment. It can have a second fulfillment. It can even have a third fulfillment. I'll give you a quick example. Daniel gets a prophecy about this ugly person, meaning ugly in nature, this beast person who's going to rise up and go after the Jewish people. Did that happen? Absolutely. It was Antiochus Epiphanes back in 165 BC. This is where the story of Hanukkah comes from. Well, in Jesus' day, Jesus starts prophesying what's going to happen at the end. And what does he do? He goes, oh yeah, all this stuff that's going to happen at the end, the stopping of the sacrifices, the desecration of the temple, all this. By the way, he says, it's going to be a rehash, a replay of exactly what Daniel prophesied would happen that already happened. It's going to happen again. Hmm. So in other words, if you want to know what's going to happen in the future, you have to look back to the past. And that's why we entitled this Back to the Future. Because in the book of Revelation, it's not only going to tell us what's coming in the future, but it's just absolutely linked to the past, the prophecies of the past, the events of the past, because God's word is one big word. So next week, we'll pick up chapter 1, verse 4, as the message begins to flow. And if people have missed any of these episodes, this is episode 3, so next week it'll be episode 4, but if anybody misses, they can go where to hear it. Again, go to the ibministry.com website and go to the podcast tab, not the radio tab, although you can go to the radio and click on it and listen to it live. But go to the podcast, and all the episodes will be there. Or you can go to this radio station's um, podcast page where they repost a lot of these uh, shows, et cetera, et cetera. And by the way, when you're, again, when you're at highbeamministry.com, check out the rest of the resources we have, especially the Cruising Through the Bible book. 
the December book has a lot of this material right there that you can follow along with us if you'd like or get a great refresher later. And if you have a question, please email me, Dr. J, at highbeamministry at gmail.com. That's highbeamministry at gmail.com. And again, make sure you include your name so we can give you a shout out on the air. want the truth today? Dr. Jay Christensen is the truth barista and the founder of High Beam Ministry. Jay is a creative person who wants to use the setting of an imaginary cafe to produce a series of radio and internet programs that confront the issues of our day through the lens of the Bible. The Truth Barista was the avenue that was developed to communicate truth using the Bible as the source of our information. The Truth Barista is a production of High Beam Ministry and can be found online at highbeamministry.com.